Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Hollywood Remixed, a Hollywood Reporter podcast about cultural shifts in entertainment. I'm Rebecca Sun, senior reporter. And I'm Rebecca Ford, awards editor. The reason for this podcast is because we're in a time in which diversity and inclusion are hotter buzzwords than ever. And so it becomes even more important to place these current milestones in context. Nothing actually happens in a vacuum. So it's helpful to see how movies and television shows from the past have shaped progress in the present. Each episode, we'll do a deep dive into a single topic, a type of story or a type of character that has been traditionally underrepresented or misrepresented in pop culture. So for our very first episode, we're going to talk to Henry Golding. But before we talk to him, we're going to do a brief primer on the history of Asian-leaning men in Hollywood. So there actually were Asian leading men, believe it or not. This is not a two-minute-long podcast. <laughs> Early examples include Seshue Hayakawa, who was a silent-era heartthrob, and James Chagita, who starred in actually the first Hollywood movie to feature an all-Asian cast. This was about 30 years before The Joy Luck Club, 1961's universal movie musical Flower Drum Song. But for many people, the earliest enduring icon of an Asian leading man, of course, was Bruce Lee. Now, the thing is that Bruce Lee was somebody who, even though he was born in San Francisco, he was, you know, he was an American, but Hollywood had no use for him. So he ended up being either relegated to supporting roles such as Cato and the Green Hornet, or he was sort of cut out of his own pitches entirely, which, you know, is widely believed to have happened with Kung Fu, which was a movie, about, a TV show about a Shaolin monk that starred David Carradine. Bruce had to go to Hong Kong in order to become a big star, which is something that even today is happening. Um, You look at Daniel Wu, somebody who's billed as a Hong Kong action star, even though he's from Oakland. So for a long time, Hollywood's most famous Asian male characters were sort of these extreme stereotypes. There were the nerds, Long Duck Dong, or the Fu Manchu villains, or sometimes they weren't even Asian at all. Which yeah, like great. Mr. Yunioshi, like that's a really famous yep. Asian man, male character in Hollywood cinema, and he was played by the famous Asian actor Mickey Rooney. Yeah, or there were also, of course, the sort of initial influx of Asian imports. You know, you you look at Jackie Chan or Ken Watanabe, rather than homegrown talent. You know, they were stars, but they were coming from abroad. Yeah, so this was basically in the '90s. You did start seeing films that starred Asian men, but they were all, um, I mean, they, it still emphasized the fact that they were foreign. Mm-hmm. You know, Jackie Chan, Mobile in the Bronx, Chow Yun-Fat in the replacement killers. And so this still wasn't quite representation for Asian American men. And, you know, I think they were, a lot of times they were action heroes, mm-hmm. but that was about it. They weren't romantic interests or romantic leads or anything else other than sort of just one very small characterization. 
Yeah, that was sort of the final frontier for uh, Asian men as protagonists, right? So they start out as supporting characters or sidekicks or comic relief, and then eventually they get to be like the kick-ass protagonist, whether sort of in a comedic way like Jackie Chan or in a serious way like Jet Li. But that final frontier was being a romantic leading man. And one great example of that was, you know, 2000's Romeo Must Die. That was the sort of Romeo and Juliet take that starred Jet Li and Aaliyah. And there's a famous story that the ending of that film was actually changed because of like audience testing. Um, Again, Romeo Must Die, Romeo and Juliet, and they cut out a kiss um, between the two characters. I think it should be fair, and we should note that there was like a 20-year age difference right. <laughs> between them, so hopefully it was, it was partly that. But yeah, I mean, people literally felt like audiences would not yet be ready to see an Asian man kiss a black woman. Yeah. And this was the year 2000. But since then, I'd say, I feel like in the last decade, there's been a lot of good change when it comes to this. Mm -hmm. I think as with a lot of things, TV allowed for more opportunities earlier than film has. You know, a lot of the sort of Asian leading men came up through TV. Daniel Day Kim, of course, you know, known for Lost and Steven Yeun from Walking Dead. You know, they were able to sort of build their careers through television in a way that we hadn't seen before. And it makes sense that television was that medium because um, you spend more time with these characters. And mm-hmm. so you develop familiarity. Certainly, um, Stephen Young's character in The Walking Dead became a fan favorite. And so you there was just more, because there's more episodes, there's more screen time to develop that dimensionality, you know, of, of seeing these people as lovers, as fighters, as, as heroes. And so that's, that's, that was the launching pad for a lot of these Asian leading men. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I think there's a lot of men who are creating opportunities for themselves, you know, writing their own material and creating their own content, which is the way you sometimes have to do it when Hollywood's not providing that for you. You know, we've seen um, Kamal Nanjiani created a film and for him to star in, and, and Randall Park has done the same. He's a romantic lead in Always Be My Maybe, which was a great film. So that's been another way to do it. But I think the biggest and best news that has come out in this space has been that there's going to be a Marvel movie that stars an Asian man. And, you know, that's a, a big first. And uh, Shang-Chi is scheduled for 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think for the way the industry is right now, you've officially made it if you get to be the lead hero in a Marvel movie. And so that's definitely a, a big milestone for sure. For more information about just the history of Asians in cinema, particularly Asian men, I'd recommend you check out the 2006 documentary, The Slanted Screen. So now that we've gone over the history of Asian leading men, we know that our guest isn't necessarily the first, but he is currently our top dude. You know him as literally, I guess, the guy of everyone's dreams and Crazy Rich Asians. And then he romanced both Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick in A Simple Favor. And soon you'll see him in Last Christmas, a romantic comedy that comes out November 8th. And then you'll see him once again in The Gentleman, Guy Ritchie's film that comes out in January. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm like the first guest there. You I are. Hear. You're the first. <laughs> You're the guinea pig. Amazing. <laughs> so uh, I guess we wanted to start out sort of with your origin and talk about you know, you were raised outside of the U.S., and so who were the leading men you watched in movies or in television shows growing up? Were any of them, did you see any who were Asian? 
To be honest, yeah, I, I split my time between the UK and Malaysia. And so growing up in, in Asia, everybody you watch on screen is of Asian descent just because of the sheer, the programming in that sort of region. So I grew up with Bollywood stars. I grew up with Malaysian actors like P. Ram Lee, the Hong Kong martial arts scene with Jackie Chan and Chow Yun-Fat. So for me, it was it was kind of semi-normal to see leading. Obviously, I knew the distinction between Hollywood and, of course, um, Asian movies and, and, and sort of stuff like that. But I think it, it, it wasn't really until I moved as a kid all the way to, to the UK for, for good was that, that, that I started recognizing that it was a commodity to, to sort of be of a different race or anything. And there weren't many people, especially growing up in the UK in the sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, that was only just picking up speed like the BBC were really good at, at sort of having a I wouldn't say a quota but to having different faces and they made an effort to include you know people with disabilities people of, of all different colors so later in my life it was kind of speckled definitely not as much as as when I was growing up in Asia who were some specific actors that you sort of admired or you know were a fan of I think, I mean, I used to remember watching Jason Scott Lee in Dragon, Dragon, exactly, in Jungle Book. And when when the Mortal Kombat films came out, and I was like obsessed as a kid with those. But for me, it was was definitely the Hong Kong stars that that always stood out, like Chow Yun-Fat and definitely Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung. Man, those are those like this golden era of, of martial arts film that came out, came out from there. But in terms of Hollywood, yeah, I, I guess I wasn't prejudiced. It was, it was always whichever leading man had that aura of, of having that screen presence. You know, it, it, it didn't matter if it was white, Latino or, or anything. I, I don't think it sort of clicked to me. I think my perspective is slightly skewed because it's so much more global um, and I wasn't restricted to sort of one singular kind of country growing up. So for me, it was it was whoever was saving the day, whoever got who, whoever got the lady at the end of the day, you know, those typical kind of tropes that a leading man has. Yeah, I mean, I think that you do have that unique perspective of having lived in places that were both majority Asian and that were that were not that were much more um, mixed. And so I'm curious about whether or not media portrayals, like whoever were those idols on the big screen, whether or not that ever trickled down to your own, you know, just your own personal experience, whether it was how others perceived you or maybe how you perceived yourself. It never really occurred to me until I moved to the UK that I was Asian. It sounds so weird and so kind of kind of warped but growing up in Malaysia I was I was growing up in in an international sort of expat community so it was people from all over the world South Africa the UK America and me being sort of half half British and Malaysian I never identified as Asian because there was no need to it was just we were just this one big sort of mixing pot and then until I came back to or moved I must have been around eight or nine years old to the UK, then there was a time where it was kind of like childhood racist sort of silly comments in the in the playground, you know, very 
harmless but innocent kind of name calling because they didn't know better. But I stood out, and I and I realized that I was different. I was I was Asian. I was you know half Malaysian. So it wasn't until then that I knew, and I think there was a, a sudden bit of shame that came into it. And I was ash- I was ashamed to be Asian because everybody was was saying it was a bad thing, or I you know whenever anybody pointed out the fact that I was Asian, it was hurtful. And so that's where that shame sort of stemmed from. And it wasn't until I was around. 16 17 when I was when I was sort of really comfortable with myself and I and I kind of left school and I went into work like full time that it, that I totally took pride in in where I came from and and I was proud to be sort of different so I think we heard that story a lot when we were talking to people about crazy rich Asians because a lot of Americans who are of Asian descent have felt that mm. growing up and I'm curious if when you were being cast in Crazy Rich Asians, you sort of realized how significant it would be that it would be your face and this cast in a Hollywood movie. When you were going through that process, did you have an inkling that that's what would happen? I was filled in as to how important it is because, again, my filters in life have have been that. Because at that point, I was living in Asia for coming up to like eight, nine years and doing Malaysian and, and Singaporean and Asian programming. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, they're, they're making this film. I understand it's under Warner Brothers. I understand it's based on this book. Amazing. Cool. It didn't really, like, it didn't kick in until I was talking to John and John was telling me, like, his experience coming from America and coming from a family that emigrated from Taiwan how important this film was and especially the history of Asian films in Hollywood and, and them being so limited. So this was really the next kind of bastion for colorblind sort of roles in movies. And so the importance really kind of crept up on me. After the film came out, did you have any particular sort of responses from audience members that kind of have stuck with you in terms of what specifically seeing a character like Nick, who looks like Nick, mm-hmm. who looks like you on screen, meant to them? Like, did you ever, did you have a chance to have interactions with people? Still to this day, I get people coming up to me, guys especially, saying, hey, dude, like, thank you so much for for making it be okay to be a handsome Asian guy. Like, there's been so many people who, you know, women of all ages, people who are massive fans, and they tell you, like, I watched that film four or five times and I never failed to cry and it means so much to me. And seriously, like spread the word to the rest of the cast and crew, but thank you so much. Like this has changed not only the the lay of the land in Hollywood, but around the world. Like people see us differently now. See people don't see us as the sort of the sidekick or or that sort of extra character. So it just keeps coming. It's one of those films that resonates through, I think, and will continue to resonate uh, with a lot of people. I'm curious because when Crazy Rich Asians did come out, there was this little controversy because you are, you know, half Malaysian and half Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And as I am also, I've felt that experience where you're told by some people you're not Mm -hmm. Asian enough or you're not white enough. You don't sort of belong to either group, which can really affect, I think, the way you see yourself. So how did you sort of react to that online controversy? Um, I think, you know, I've, I've been sort of saying in interviews about owning your 
ancestry or your however you feel. But it also comes down to, I think, coming to terms with the fact that you cannot change the fact that you are half white or you're half Asian. It's about being able to own that, but at the same time, have an understanding of both cultures and why it could have, what it means to be a part of the two and sort of have a very sort of leveled kind of playing field as to how you go about kind of representing each side but at the same time doing each side sort of kind of justice so for me when 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 there was a bit of backlash it was kind of uh, i understood it you know and because of the sheer impact this film was was going to make in the asian culture for me it wouldn't have been good of me to to not be able to understand that point of view and i think you know i've come across it so many times in the past and i'm I'm coming across it with my next role, like not being white enough or not being Asian enough and sort of just, just being, being comfortable with yourself, I think, was, was, was what I learned as a kid, understanding that people will always throw things at you because you are different. But taking those to heart is really up to you. And, and what you decide to do with that negative energy, you can either flip it and use it as as fuel to just prove them wrong or you can take it like on the chin and and hope that it gets better yeah makes sense after crazy rich asians i'm curious about what kinds of offers you know what kinds of roles were coming to you and then how you and your team sort of strategize the vision of like okay how are we going to build your career what sorts of things were you looking for We've been really, really sort of lucky with being able to take our time following sort of Crazy Rich Asians' success as to what kind of projects um, I'm, I'm getting into. And myself and my team both agreed that I wanted to get into that realm of the colorblind leading man. And that means an unverified race of any sort, or it's never mentioned, but at the same time, wanting to do Asian Asian roles as well, but also those those kind of colorblind leading roles, but doing the character justice, and that's really what kind kind of takes a precedence is is like, is this character good enough to be sort of seen as as like a a, a person of a, a global sort of race as such. So for for me, you know, going stepping back into Asian shoes as such with with Guy Ritchie's film, I was super proud of it because I play a badass, young, hungry gangster going against Matthew McConaughey, and that's not often that you get to see that sort of, especially in sort of Hollywood. And then at the same time, last Christmas I was filming Last Christmas, and I was this colorblind leading man to Amelia Clark who just have this on-screen romance and and it's never mentioned like where my character's from I have a, a neutral name Tom Webster it, there's there's no need to over sort of explain anything and that's kind of where we want to get to is like why should we need to explain why I'm Asian or why I'm of mixed race um, it should be just for the fact that the character is is on this journey and and it's a strong one. 
I do want to point out that the amount of work you have booked, you know, Crazy Rich Asians came out a year ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like in all the coverage of film I do here, I have never seen someone book such a impressive list of Aquafina, She's been killing it. <laughs> like every <laughs> other week. But I mean, a holiday romantic comedy, now Snake Eyes, which is a huge action film mm. and a Guy Ritchie action. I mean, the, it's really incredible what you've done. I think I'd love to hear a little bit more about Last Christmas since that is what will be coming out next. Yeah. You know, what really drew you to that story? Working again with Paul Feig. He is phenomenal. And he approached me about the project the weekend that Crazy Rich Asians actually came out. So that weekend, I did this like month run up to Crazy Rich Asians for press and stuff like that. And it came out, we had the premiere. I had to go straight to New York to do press for a simple favor. And it was amazing. I do, I'll always remember we're in a sort of an interview. And it's myself and Paul, and Paul's like, at this very moment around the world, this guy is becoming a movie star. And it just kind of resonated with me. I was just like, man. And, and you know, the responses were coming back for, from, from Crazy Rich Asians, and, and it, I just felt, felt this sort of, I don't know, this amazing sort of feeling that, like, holy, holy crap, like, we're actually doing this. But it wasn't like sort of a couple of days later, he was like, look, I have this project that, I wanted to approach you for, but I knew I had to wait until Crazy Rich came out to get the numbers in to show the studio, like, this is the guy that we need because, like, he is going to put bums in seats. And so he did that as a great friend and somebody who cares about their actors. And so he was like, he passed me the script and I read it. And I was sobbing in parts. I was laughing in others. And I was like, this is a phenomenal role. And it's an amazing movie. Topped off. Emma Thompson wrote it. Michelle Yeoh. At that point, we we didn't know or didn't know she was going to play it. But Paul's goal was to get Michelle on board. Because when we were filming A Simple Favor in, in Toronto, Michelle was filming Star Trek over there. And so we would go for dinner. I'd be like, Paul, do you mind if I invite Michelle for like for dinner? And he was like, <gasps> she is literally my hero. Yes, we could go for dinner. <laughs> and so ever since then, they stayed like amazing friends. And it was his goal to put her in one of his movies because he was such a huge fan of how she was a strong Asian woman. And so he drove to like put her into this movie as well and in no relation to me which is what a lot of people online were like oh yeah it's his that's his mother or something it's like no she's just her boss you know that doesn't need to be like it's weird how people instantly jump into that because just because we're asian because like you see white white guys or white people and like they're related (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) where is that okay it's like that's so weird but because you see two asian faces in one movie, oh, they've got to be related. Like, they're brothers and sisters, or they're like a mother and son. It's still so rare. But it's like, they must be relatives. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So how do you get past that? It's it's about doing movies like that and and this one and, and, and showing people, yeah, don't jump to those conclusions. It's, you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, that's really the litmus test is when you can have not only more than one, right. but 
they can they're, they're not related at all and yeah. you know they just live in the world i mean you know certainly seeing both you and especially michelle yo in a rom-com mm-hmm. finally is is and she is I, I watched last christmas the other day <laughs> and she is amazing in it you will never have seen her in a role like this, and she is absolutely hilarious. I can't, I can't wait. I mean, it, again, it's been really awesome to finally see her doing like mm-hmm. sort of these different genres that she's always been capable of. You know, I want to kind of go back and talk about rom-coms, not a genre that you typically see Asian male actors in, but then there are a lot of roles that have been stereotyped over the years, you know, martial arts, bad guys, villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to touch on a film that you did that came out at festivals, mm-hmm. you know, Monsoon, mm-hmm. where you play, I believe, a gay Vietnamese man. And yes. that's another thing that, you know, Asian men have always been kind of sensitive to because mm-hmm. there's only been very limited portrayals. When you're approaching a character that has been very heavily stereotyped in mm-hmm. the past, what do you look for in order to strike that balance of, of not falling into that, but still being able to play those roles? I mean, I feel secure in understanding what I can bring to a movie and a, and a particular role. And I think when, when, you're, when you come across a character who say sort of, sort of challenges those normalities, I think you take them on board, but at the same time you sort of you understand where it all kind of roots from and why why in particular i as an actor can think that i can i can live in this character's sort of shoes as such yeah i mean it's sometimes it's in the writing it's in mm. trusting the filmmaker that it's coming from like kind of an authentic place mm. rather than like an exploitative one i think a well-written character lends itself to the actor and in particular sort of example of Monsoon by Hong Kao. Hong Hong actually wrote the screenplay from experiences that he has had in his past life. And so because it meant so much to him, to be able to to do justice to that character with with pride and sort of legitimacy, I think it was the most important thing for me. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a multitude of things. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> yeah. We're here to stump answer, people. Though. It was a good answer. It was yeah. a tough I am curious, you know, now that you really have become, you know, this new leading man in Hollywood, do you feel a responsibility or an added pressure knowing that you have become sort of this inspiration for a lot of the Asian community? Definitely. Um, and that really steers what kind of roles I'm going to be choosing. If it's a script or a particular character that makes a fool out of out of men like myself, then it's definitely not, nothing that I want to get into. You know, it's it's so easy to take kind of that those two steps forward and then suddenly take a step back because you're you're trying to do too much. But I think it's it's always weighing sort of very heavily on my mind of how do I follow up from characters such as Nick Young or the character in The Simple Favor or Tom in Last Christmas or Dry Eye in, in The Gentleman, how do I do those characters justice? And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that I shouldn't be looking at self-deprecating kind of leading men sort of type characters either, but it's, it's about following up tastefully, I think. Like taste is is so 
I don't know, I think it's so important in a sense of, of how it creates the, your patina as, as, as an actor. Knowing what, you know, your own experience is like, as well as that of, you know, your fellow actor friends, you know, who, who are of Asian descent, you know, whether we're talking about like a Harry Shum or a Chris Pang or anybody else, how do you think the landscape is now? Like, has this quote unquote bamboo ceiling completely been lifted? Is it open season now for Asian male actors to have equal opportunity or are there still obstacles? There's been a huge rise in casting calls for Asian faces, like massive. And every single actor that I've spoken to has has sort of said that. And you're starting to see, you know, you've got these young guys like Charles Melton, Ross Butler. Butler from 13 um, Reasons Why. Exactly. Yeah. These guys are like coming into their own as, as leading men as well. And there are more films... Which which help break that scene, like searching a lot of the John Cho stuff and films that are coming out of of the indie realm. But for for actors, it's it's definitely the case that that I think I wouldn't say we've broken the bamboo ceiling. I think there's there's gaps, there's there's slats in the roofing that people are sort of fighting to get through, and I think it's going to get more and more especially with, with you know, Shang-Chi around the corner next 2021. 20, I think that's, that's really going to change it. So I hope they do that justice. So now we have, we're, we're testing out, we're going to do these two questions that we're going to end every episode with. And it's Hollywood Remixed and Hidden Gems. So being mindful of today's topic, is there one Hollywood role from the past, you know, a movie or a television character that you would recast. And it doesn't have to be a slight against the original actor. It could just be like, if we were going to remake it today, because we remake everything, who would it be? You know, for like selfish reasons? Yes. (laughs) You can can cast yourself. The Matrix. Keanu Reeves. There you go. Oh my God. That's getting remade. Even though I'm so, 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 so excited for the fourth installment, like that just got announced with even Carrie Ann Moss is coming up. Like that character to me was, was what got me into movies. Like my brother gave me the VHS tape on Christmas night and was like, you can open this like the, the night before Christmas. And, and, I put it in and I, I stay up until like three o'clock in the morning just watching this this story unfold and, and Keanu Reeves just had me. So for selfish reasons, I would love to <laughs> love to do that. Coolest of the That's cool. That's a good one. Yeah, 100%. And then our, our last question here is the forgotten gem, which is uh, might tie into what you just said, but it's a movie or TV show that you would recommend people check out, whether it's to be introduced to a leading man they may not be aware of or a performance that you just loved that sort of ties into what we've been talking about today. Um, one of my favorite animes ever is Cowboy Bebop. And, uh, you know, I know they're under production at Netflix for, for the series, but that as a character, Spike Spiegel, was... I felt like he was like a Eurasian guy. That I, I, it totally resonated with me. He was tall. He kind of had very similar, similar features to myself, but he was non-distinct. Like he was Asian for sure. And so for his capers around, like in this world of bounty hunters and stuff, and he was like this cool, fluid, very inspired by Bruce Lee, but wore a suit and and kind of was this bounty hunter in space, like. I cannot wait for John Cho's portrayal of that. 
and and because that character is just one of the coolest characters that you'll you'll ever see. If you haven't seen the anime, it's like I, I highly suggest you watch those. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always nice to chat with you, and and we can't wait to see you in last Christmas. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Just want to say another quick thanks for Henry Golding for joining us today, and be sure to check him out in Last Christmas, which comes out November 8th. Stay tuned next week when we talk to This Is Us star Sterling K. Brown about the portrayal of black fathers in film and television. And if you like what you've heard on our very first episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.